African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here for a new week of African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where you get your African perspective. I'm your host for this hour, Benjamin Moshatama. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms. On shortwave, we're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. And also on DSTV channel in South Africa and some static countries who have access to uh, the channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Thank you for joining us there as well. Remember, you can also stream us live. Our streaming is on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going back to look at the United States and looking at uh, what's happening there in terms of Donald Trump's drama around his wall. Just last week, Friday, the U.S. President Donald Trump declared a national emergency to obtain funds for his uh, U.S.-Mexico border wall. Trump made his declaration after Congress refused his request for $5.7 billion to build the wall he had promised during his 2016 election campaign. Well, some legal experts in the U.S. say that Trump's move could lead his opposition in Congress to challenge him through the courts by way of lawsuits. Already today, it was reported that California and New York would approach the federal court to sue uh, Trump's administration. President Trump's declaration of a national emergency will allow him to have access to money from Congress to be used for other purposes, but he'll use it for the construction of the Mexican border wall. The White House has claimed that Trump will have access to around $8 billion. Well, to assist us on this topic today, we're joined by Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, Professor John Stramlau, international relations analyst, and Thomas Gift, who is a political analyst, also joining us from the University College London on the line. Let let me start with you, uh, Professor John Stramlau, in terms of trying to understand what the declaration of the state of emergency means. I mean, there's no war. There's no internal battles. There's no uh, economic crisis in the United States. However, we've seen this declaration of the state of emergency. What does it mean for the United States? Well, it's very difficult to say, and thank you for the question. All countries in Africa have immigration problems, and the U.S. needs a sensible migration policy. But this declaration of, uh, of a state of emergency is phony on many levels, but of course Donald Trump in his press conference even said that he really didn't have to do it. And the reason he did it, which you alluded to, was because the Congress wouldn't grant him money. This uh, state of emergency law was put into effect back in 1976, and there have been about 60 times it's been evoked by presidents, but never before to do an end run on funding from the U.S. Congress. There are only two of those 60 cases that had anything to do with money, and they were related to the um, uh, Gulf War and 9-11 crises where the president needed some extra funds. He was not contradicting the Congress. So what is being raised by Donald Trump's emergency declaration is a profound constitutional issue of the separation of powers because the Congress is supposed to control the budget. 
And so there are going to be cases, as you suggested, and this is a real mess, but one that's of interest, I suppose, internationally because of the uh, uh, questions it raises about whether or not the U.S. Uh, democracy is, in fact, viable and resilient to undertake the Donald Trump challenge. All right, so let me move on to you, Professor Patrick Bond, in terms of what was highlighted there by uh, Professor Stremlau, the fact that now we're seeing a contestation of uh, centers of power, especially when it deals with the um, budget of the United States. As I mentioned earlier on uh, in my introduction, that uh, the White House has claimed that this uh, national emergency will allow uh, Donald Trump to have access to around $8 billion. Yes, it's a fairly trivial amount. Thanks for having me with you and joining uh, your, your other two esteemed guests. The uh, big dilemma is uh, this is symbolic politics. Um, and it's really about the preparations for an election in November 2020 mm. in which Donald Trump wants to be able to say, look, I kept my promise in spite of all the uh, uh, opposition from, from the U.S. Congress. However, he's going to be uh, actually, I think, defeated in uh, sustaining this because he said, quote, uh, I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. I just want to get it done faster. That's all. End quote. That was his uh, statement the other day, and that will mean um, he's um, scanning. Uh, it's, it's a sort of uh, admission that this isn't an emergency. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he can sustain his position. Also, the fact is that there have been, over the last 20 years, a dramatic decline in illegal border crossings on that um, Mexican border. Um, so it's not going to uh, sustain any kind of uh, court uh, argument that this is a a genuine emergency. But look, the main thing is the amounts of money are fairly trivial and the really big money, the really big dilemmas for uh, that society are beginning to show because uh, although there's uh, renewed discussions with China about a trade deal, uh, the U.S. economy doesn't have that much push left in it after the the once-off tax cut that, that took corporates from 35 just down to 21% tax rate, and then created a little sort of artificial spur. Um, the consumer spending capacities are very low, over-indebtedness by both corporates and especially households, uh, students. Um, car loans are something like $7 million now, and deep default of three months uh, arrears. These mm-hmm. are uh, very worrying signs, and the stock market has gone into all kinds of chaotic directions. We saw it uh, lose uh, dramatically in December, and you know, more or less reverse all the gains since Trump took over. So um, I think actually this is a very interesting year ahead in which this will look back on as a minor blip. A final point is that there's uh, chaos in Donald Trump's own ranks uh, from the standpoint of um, his um, relationships to several people now under indictment or in being actually jailed. Paul Manafort, his former campaign manager, is, is facing his life in jail for lying and for criminality. Um, Plenty of others in his inner circle uh, now are, are faced, including his former lawyer, um, Michael Cohen. And I think that would keep him awake at night, the nightmares of all of the ways in which people mm. who have, have been very close to him might want to mm. you know, cut deals that would, uh, unless he can pardon them, uh, mm. without too many questions. Okay, so I, I, I want to. So I want to understand. Let me move this to Thomas Gift joining us via Skype in London at the University College London. Um, Thomas, you know what is also maybe for outsiders who are looking into uh, the United States is. 
people are asking themselves, what does a state of emergency actually mean now? Um, and I'd like to understand what it actually means in terms of, I think it's changed the definition of what it is in terms of what Donald Trump is currently trying to do. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the question of what constitutes a national emergency, I think, has really become uh, in the eye of the beholder. I would agree with both of your guests that Donald Trump's uh, lawyers must have been pounding their heads against the desk when they heard him uh, mention this fact that he didn't need to declare a national emergency, that he just wanted to be able to secure this funding for the wall uh, sooner. In that sense, he's really undermining his own case. Um, this question of whether um, immigration at uh, the U.S.-Mexico border constitutes an um, emergency is certainly of dubious constitutionality. Um, you know, many uh, legal scholars suggest that uh, national emergencies can't be declared for uh, the enforcement of domestic law, um, whereas others suggest that a national emergency is essentially anything uh, that the president says. Now, the National Emergencies Act of 1976 does provide uh, certain um, mechanisms for uh, Congress to uh, place a limit um, or restriction on the imposition of a national emergency, but really they are also quite uh, constrained. What's likely to happen uh, going forward is that Congress is can uh, choose to declare kind of a, a joint resolution of uh, termination on the national emergency. Uh, in the House of Representatives, which is controlled by the Democrats, it's very likely that that will pass. The big question is whether uh, it will pass uh, in the Senate uh, if enough Republicans decide to uh, switch and go against the president. It could also pass there. But then again, it comes back to the president's desk who can decide to veto it. And absent um, a supermajority, that will not be overridden. Um, and so it's very likely that most of these questions will end up being resolved uh, in the courts. Mm. Well, well, let, let me, me take a, a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like us to actually extend that thought that was brought forward there by uh, Thomas Gift. I'd like uh, Professor John Stramlau and Professor Patrick Bond to really speak on the intrapolitics within Congress, how things could move forward, because as was highlighted by uh, Thomas there and reaffirmed by some of our sessions that this is going to be a battle that is actually going to take place in the court system. But what does that say? about uh, Congress maintaining its efficiency. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll ask that question. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 
Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, where you get the African perspective. Well, today we're having great guests. If you're just joining us, our panel discussion is including Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, Professor John Stramlau, international relations analyst, and Thomas Gift, who's a political analyst, joining us from London today from the University College London. And just before the break, uh, Professor Stramlau was that um, elaborate uh, um, look by uh, Thomas Gift around the, the politics that are happening within Congress. Uh, we've already heard from Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic Speaker of the House, and also top Senate uh, Democrat Chuck uh, uh, Schumer, who is highlighting the fact that uh, they think the actions uh, that were taken by uh, the president were actually not actually violate the the congress's exclusive power of uh, uh, the constitution um what are your thoughts in terms of the dynamic uh, contestation of the centers of power now that are full on display when it comes to congress and uh, the u.s president the politics of uh, the u.s are very complicated right now and i'll try to keep them simple but i'm glad you had thomas gift on on, on the line because uh britain is facing a its own constitutional crisis over Brexit and whether or not there was foreign intervention um, that led to the to the referendum being passed initially or not, or foreign interference, cyber warfare. Let us not forget that behind all this is Donald Trump's legal problems that Patrick Bond alluded to, that the Congress has been reluctant to push very hard until the Democrats took over the House of Representatives. And the Congress, the Senate, is still reluctant to push very hard because Trump's one leverage is his base that this wall is appealing to, and that base is the American firsters. They tend to be characterized as uh, anti-immigrants and, 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 and even white racists, white redoubt. But in any case, he feels that if he can satisfy them, they will threaten Congress with primary uh, competitors to those sitting in, co- in Congress, the Republicans, who would be to the right of them. So that there is a tendency for the Republican majority in Congress to still be under his thumb to some extent. But what is really intriguing is the latitude that the Congress is allowed on the impeachment process and whether or not he can have the political support going forward, given that the 2020 elections are looming. And Donald Trump is not popular with the majority of the American people. And this border war, has so, this border emergency has shown again how alienated he is from increasing numbers of Republicans and independents, as well as the Democrats who have been mobilized in the process, so that the political dynamics are working against him. But meanwhile, he's got this legal problem that, that, uh, that, that uh, Patrick Bond alluded to that is building a head of steam under the special investigator in in South African context, it's like the Zondo Commission looking into the misbehavior of the Zuma administration, because Donald Trump has real conflicts of interest that are going to come to the light that could be sources for Putin having leverage over him and bribing him, actually, because of his money laundering records that have seemed to be increasingly evident in the press and that we're waiting for the Mueller investigation to confirm or disaffirm. Um, but but the dynamics are, are eroding in the Congress, and the Congress may want to assert itself. Now, on impeachment, it does have great flexibility if it wanted to go down that road, mm. or more likely for the Republicans to persuade Donald Trump 
to stand down before the 2020 election so that they could at least get a candidate forward who would have a chance of competing with the Democrats. Mm. That that assumption that's made there by Professor John Stramler, Professor Patrick Bond, leads me to ask the question whether this world debacle is a clear Democrats versus the Republicans fight. Are we still dealing with those black and white uh, uh, politics or has it been blurred between the lines whether um, anyone likes Donald Trump within uh, the Democrats, um, I mean, or rather the, the Republicans rather, would we actually know whether it's actually now Congress versus Donald Trump, uh, including the Republicans now? Well, not that simple. It's, uh, as you say, more complex with probably four big factions because, as John just said, uh, some Republicans are really getting fed up. They, they saw in November a blue uh, wave of the, the so-called blue being the Democratic Party color, uh, wiping out um, uh, something like nearly 40 um, seats that the Republican side. So there's a, there's a very substantial, substantial majority, and they come back uh, for election next year in the Senate the, the Republicans wanted it, but they're all very aware that was mainly because of the just uh, action that Democratic seats were, were grabbed last year, and some of them had weak candidates. But in other words, the Congress might sw- uh, switch all the way to the Democrats, and there may be a Democratic president because of how badly uh, Trump has performed. And I think, uh, so John's right, some Republicans now beginning to say, hey, by knocking all these um, hundreds of thousands of workers from the federal government out of their jobs for January and a bit of February, so 36 days, longest ever, we did damage. We can do all sorts of other damage. Maybe the trade war will be damaged. But um, so Trump doesn't offer them much as they think about re-election next year. But likewise, the Democrats have a split. So it's, it's not just two uh, factions within the Democratic, uh, the Republicans, but also the Democrats have an interesting split because there's a new left. Mm. And many of the people running for president that have announced uh, including uh, some key people in, in the Congress, like uh, Elizabeth Warren or expecting Bernie Sanders, the socialist, to announce. They come from the left side of that party and the more uh, establishment side that Hillary Clinton uh, had, uh, had led has one representative who looks like he'll run, Joseph Biden, the former vice president for Barack Obama, and he's considered more of a centrist corporate uh, establishment Democrat, but still in this election leaning left. Most of them are being pushed to the left on things like national health insurance. So what an interesting time. Usually the state uh, has a very boring, centrist kind of uh, discourse, unlike say, South Africa, which is you know, very wide and broad in, in our political narratives. But now we're seeing um, lots more oxygen on the left. Some of the um, America Firsters, you can see them, for example, on the Alex Jones mm. uh, network called Infowars.com. Mm. You can sort of get a sense of how uh, schizophrenic they've become, sometimes liking Trump, sometimes <laughs> Uh, being very worried about the, yeah. the incompetence. Uh, I think it's uh, worth us watching carefully. And those of us who are uh, consistently out to say uh, when the U.S. does things like it, it may well, Trump may well invade Venezuela. This is a kind yeah. of a big threat. Yeah. Or uh, tensions with Iran are at a height. We should be ready, uh, your listeners, not just in South Africa, but all over the continent, to go out and protest at the U.S. embassy and show the people in the U.S. that if Trump is trying to distract attention from his Russia woes, his internal uh, political problems, and, and his failure to get the wall, well, there are going to be people all over the world that will be uh, 
uh, offering solidarity with those in the U.S. who are trying to resist uh, this sort of maniacal president. Professor Bond, what are your thoughts around uh, the possible impeachment of Donald Trump with such a heightened uh, uh, political atmosphere within Congress? I think there is a possibility, but it's a huge mistake if you oppose Donald Trump and you want to see him voted out in November, because in the meantime, uh, next in line is a man called uh, Michael Pence. Mike Pence, the vice president, who's kind of a very uh, uh, easygoing at the surface level, but he, he represents the Koch brother faction of the Republican Party. That's a very hard right-wing, pro-corporate, and neoconservative uh, faction in many respects. There are one or two things the Koch brothers have been surprising at, including prison reform, but basically it's uh, maybe the most dangerous wing. And although Trump represents a, a real threat to humanity with climate change, with the, um, uh, the trade wars, the inability, for example, as a financial crisis looms to understand how to, how to deal with that properly, his international policies have been appalling. But aside uh, from those, which really now have about uh, less than two years to run, if Pence got in and if he was able to get um, uh, an election then in, in, in 2020, it would be much worse than just sitting out the next Trump era. And I think if Trump runs for president, he will most certainly lose, and there will be a Democrat. Mm. I'm not sure which one. There are several uh, that, that have a pretty decent chance right now. Mm. But uh, Kamala Harris, I, meant, I didn't mention, she's the African-American woman running from uh, California Senate. Mm to become president, and I think some very interesting uh, uh, Democratic Party candidates will come up, and maybe the, the whole battle over impeachment will become a distraction and uh, take uh, attention away from the deeper mm-hmm. questions facing the world and facing the United States. So it might be a, quite a big mistake if to go that route. Well, I'm coming to you, Thomas, but let me take a quick break. I'd like to go back to that point that was made by Professor Bond when we started this conversation around uh, his... Uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, views on this becoming a tactical approach to um, the 2020 elections. Is the wall going to be um, Donald Trump's biggest friend or his biggest enemy in terms of his projections and his hopes for 2020 elections? Let's take a quick break. It's almost uh, 11.30 Central African time. You with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. 
Yes, thank you for joining us. So right here on Channel Africa, you with me, Benjamin Mushatam, as I mentioned before the break, that you are listening to African Dialogue. Uh, well, let's move on uh, to this uh, issue of uh, whether uh, this wall is going to be uh, important as a strategy for um, the tactical approach that Donald Trump has for 2020 elections. Thomas, let me start that conversation with you because this is a point that Professor Bond highlighted when he started speaking during this dialogue. Well, certainly I think it's the case uh, that Mr. Trump uh, has a laser-like focus on appealing to his base. That's always been the case. That was the case in 2016. That was the case even in the 2018 uh, midterms. And Mr. Trump fairly curiously has displayed almost zero interest in his in expanding his appeal uh, beyond his really uh, staunchest uh, supporters. Uh, my own thought is that uh, this is more likely to alienate a lot of uh, moderate voters um, and even some uh, Republicans who voted for uh, Trump uh, the last time. And so if you look at poll numbers um, nationally, his uh, approval has dipped below uh, 40%. Uh, it's hard to imagine a president being elected uh, with that sort of uh, approval. And particularly, it's been problematic for him in key swing states like Pennsylvania or Ohio uh, or Wisconsin, where he has just not done a very good job at uh, expanding his appeal. Um, and I don't think that the wall uh, helps him in, in that sense. It's, it may mobilize a small number of his base, um, but by and large, it's going to be uh, a net negative for him. That's sort of my analysis at this point. Mm. And coming to you, uh, Professor Bond, I would like to elaborate on that point that Thomas is highlighting in terms of you maybe elaborating on the contradictions that we see in terms of the uh, the voters' ambition. Because some people would say that Donald Trump is merely trying to fulfill the wishes of his constituency. But it seems like this is actually becoming his biggest nightmare, trying to uh, fulfill this dream. Yes, I mean, the masterful character of Donald Trump as con man, uh, probably without uh, much competition, the most effective con man in world history, is reflected in this symbolism over the wall where there's nothing substantive that can um, ground his argumentation. Uh, a reasonable person would, would, would sort of quickly agree that this, this is all just a game. So what kind of uh, uh, terrain is he setting with the distractions, with the shiny objects, the smoke and mirrors? And what are the real questions that in the next uh, uh, 19, 20 months before that election would uh, the society really want to put on the agenda? Let me then put on your radar screen something I think we should do here in South Africa, especially given our responsibility for climate change, uh, which will damage the rest of this continent. And that is something that's coming up called the Green New Deal. And it is led by this um, very dynamic and charismatic new uh, uh, first year, uh, they say, sort of rookie class in, in Congress, especially a woman called um, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who's from the Bronx, not too far from where Trump is raised in the Queens. And she is dynamite and pushing forward the argument that instead of all of the sort of distractions out there, we should all keep our focus on the big picture, including climate change, the worst threat to humanity. I think that's really the terrain we'll be seeing Democrats trying to battle Donald Trump, not simply the uh, trivialities or the uh, Russia conspiracy mm. theory. It may well be a, a genuine uh, protest, but to really get the United States to wake up politically. It's a very apolitical society. It's been sort of numbed to death by advertisements and mm. you know the, the 
Mm-hmm. And I think this is such a great opportunity to see, as we are in this country, very, very politicized, to see uh, real questions put on the agenda during this current presidential run because there's two such explicitly different directions for the mm-hmm. United mm-hmm. States to go. Trump's re-election and whatever the Democrats put out. Professor Stremler, your thoughts? Well, Patrick Bond has raised a number of important questions, including the opportunity costs of this terrible distraction of the border wall. And I'd like to say a few words, because I know we're running out of time, that um, you don't want the best to be the enemy of the good in dealing with the crazy, complex American democracy. And I am concerned, as he is, Patrick is, about the environmental neglect. I'm concerned, as he is, about the trade neglect. I'm concerned, as he is about the immigration and the lack of uh, interest in multilateral arrangements that Donald Trump has demonstrated. Donald Trump has no use for the UN, has no use for um, regional organizations of any kind, uh, no interest in democracy or human rights. So that if you could get the United States to be a responsible stakeholder, what might Africa do to raise that uh, flag and cause? And uh, the, the, the South Africans are on the uh, National Security Council right now is a temporary member. But more importantly, African Americans uh, and the diaspora have a huge uh, network of contacts in uh, Africa and across Africa. There are increasingly African Americans in positions of power at cities across the states and in state governments. And those have interests in Africa, as do members of the U.S. Congress. So that while I know that resources are scarce here, diplomatic and political as well as financial. Um, I recall how important the anti-apartheid grassroots movement was in the United States. And when you think of something like the, uh, the Green um, uh, Opportunity Fund that, that uh, uh, campaign that uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is mounting, that is a glimmer. It's on the, it's on the far left, but it's a start. And if you can work with those people, fine, do so. But get engaged. Uh, you want America to be a responsible stakeholder. And uh, when it's captured by a venal uh, a grifter like Donald Trump, uh, it undermines the entire possibility of having a constructive democratic dialogue with the complexities of the American society. Mm. So, so my plea would be to um, uh, try to stay abreast of American de- de- developments, don't be pushed around by America, but at the same time try to engage with Americans as much as you can. Mm. That takes me to you, Thomas, because that could lead us to ask, you know, how does this particular um, emergency, state of emergency declaration actually uh, affect the international um, relations um, with uh, the U.S., between the U.S. and external uh, other countries? I mean, how are we going to see this affect uh, the the United States, especially after we saw um, the economy being frustrated after the recent government shutdown? Well, I think one of the concerns is that uh, by allowing uh, this emergency declaration, it sets a very uh, dangerous uh, precedent uh, for what future presidents, and in fact, this own president, uh, might do as well. If this is perceived as a legitimate national emergency, the concern is that in the future, um, other policies that wouldn't naturally fall under this umbrella might also be uh, viewed as uh, emergencies as well. And I think that that sets a somewhat dangerous precedent. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why there have been some conservatives 
conservatives uh, within uh, Trump's own party who have tried to distance themselves or uh, either uh, criticized him uh, for uh, doing this. So I think that this is still by and large kind of a, a, a domestic uh, issue uh, that we're dealing with. But you could certainly see this having uh, implications um, further down the line, including kind of the use of um, or kind of the way that the United States engages in the world. And same with you, Thomas. Uh, just uh, we have five minutes left. I'd like to just get final projections on how you see things playing out. I mean, as I highlighted in the intro, California and New York say they're going to actually file lawsuits. And uh, we know that the De- Democratic-controlled House of Representatives Judiciary Committee said it would launch an investigation into the emergency declaration. I'm not sure what they're going to investigate specifically, uh, but uh, how do you see things playing out? Well, I think what you are likely to see is uh, the possibility of a uh, joint resolution of termination on this emergency declaration. The House is almost certainly going to put this up uh, for a vote, and kind of given the uh, anti-Trump sentiment uh, there, it's likely to pass. The Senate, I think, is a real question mark, and it will ultimately uh, hinge on uh, how many Republicans decide to um, uh, side with Trump or or not. But as I mentioned earlier, even if uh, this uh, resolution passes both houses, it's not, not necessarily going to have a huge effect uh, because it's just going to go to the president's desk and he has the ability to veto. And it's almost implausible that a supermajority would be able to override that. So I think that by and large, this is going to play out in the courts. Um, as you noted, some states, including California, are already um, uh, bringing uh, legal challenges. I think there's also a, a question wherein uh, private property owners along the U.S.-Mexico border may challenge um, the use of uh, this emergency declaration in the context of uh, eminent domain, which essentially means the, the power of the government uh, to take uh, private property for these sorts of uh, public purposes. Ultimately, it will probably go uh, through the appeals court and land in the U.S. Supreme Court, and there it's very difficult uh, to judge what the ultimate determination will be. It does present a huge constitutional question, uh, and regardless of what the ultimate outcome is, I think it will be important for setting a precedent uh, politically going forward. Okay. Um, Professor Stremlau, your final sentiments? Well, just one wild card that we haven't spoken too much about. Patrick alluded to it at the very outset, and that is the criminal charges that are mounting against Mm -hmm. collaborators and cronies of Donald Trump and certainly increasingly close to his family and to his own past financial dealings and possible um, uh, fraudulent behavior and money laundering behavior. Yeah, it does come down to an issue that if the Mueller report was to render a devastating uh, review of his um, uh, complicity and possible collusion with Russia to get um, the leverage over Hillary Clinton during the 216 campaign, that could be the tipping point for the Republican Congress to realize they really have to ask him to step aside as they did in the case of Richard Nixon back in the 70s. So um, it's a very dynamic period and probably worth watching. But I repeat again that the opportunity costs of all this noise from Trump are really high on things like the environment and trade and finances that really matter to African countries. And so I say this with great regret as my final comment. Uh, Let me give you the final say, uh, Professor Bond. 
just pick, picking up from John, I think he'd agree the immigration aspect of this uh, debate about the wall really reflects uh, Donald Trump's profound racism. He was without any question racist in describing uh, the Mexicans coming across as, quote, rapists right, when he was running for president. What he's done for Africans is not that dissimilar with a Muslim, anti-Muslim sort of Muslim or Islamophobic spin, because as you know, he's sort of uh, done a blanket ban on anyone from Somalia, from Sudan, from Chad, as well as from other Middle Eastern countries visiting, even passing through the U.S. If you want to go through JFK Airport in New York, you can't do it if you're from one of those three countries. This is a, this is a man whose racism should be punished. So it does seem to me that anyone listening from the continent should do what they can to delegitimize the United States while it's run by Donald Trump. And they're the best thing because Africa is a continent that will uh, most uh, uh, disastrously suffer from climate change. Um, to me, it would be to advocate a carbon tax on anything from the United States, the sanctions against the U.S. This is completely within legitimate discourse. Joe Stiglitz, who won the Nobel mm. Prize, advocated mm. a carbon tax, and I think we've got to start punishing more explicitly, and that includes protests at embassies, but something more concrete and delegitimizing Donald Trump's United States while um, the citizens allow him to, to retain power would be one way forward for Africa to require this. Well, we have to let it go there. Thank you to Professor Patrick Bond, political economist. Thank you as well to Professor John Stramlau, international relations analyst. And um, last but not least, thanks to Thomas Gibb for joining us once again, political analyst joining us all the way from London, from the University College London. Thank you all for being part of this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe we're about to make history. I can hear my fantasies whispering. Feels like I'm dreaming. Oh, I can't believe we're about to make history. I can hear my fantasies whispering. Feels like I'm memory had to leave my home country and my family busy busy searching for opportunity from one country to another wasn't fun for me young stars were looking up to me i couldn't tell i was holding back my destiny like said oh i was spinning around on me like said oh i was gonna follow me some days are so encouraging some other days are filled with uncertainties but when i sit and think about it carefully this god has made me stronger than my enemies yeah Cause on my dream line, I swear I went from trouble, no one rewind say Oh, I can't believe we're about to make history I can hear my fantasies whispering Feels like I'm dreaming Oh, I can't believe we're about to make history I can hear my fantasies whispering Feels like I'm dreaming Hey, thorns and roses in my memories I remember sleepless nights on the London streets I Walking over time to pay my bills The bills didn't kill, it only trade my skills uh, Though I had a good time, I know that Being around the back, now I'm a blessed soul out Dabs, what's the first of family way back? Used to tell me keep going, never turn back I got so much love that money can't buy And I can't 
way to make Jehovah so proud Cooley and I were meant to cross path To make music that would have a great impact Big city that take my play like Like great chance and guess it's time for me to get mine I've stayed so far cause I'm a dream line I swear, away from trouble no one rewinds oh, I can't believe we're about to make history I can hear my fantasies whispering Feels like a dream Mali say make I no forget where I come from Like Luther King behold I dream for day like this And here it is, feels like I'm in a deja vu My diva said that I could do the impossible We all stars, we all shine when it's time So don't you force it when it's not your time I, I, Take it easy one step at a time So it's time, then it's time I shine Yeah, big city that take my play blind Like rich houses, guess it's time for me to get mine I stayed so focused on my dream line Away from trouble, no one rewind See, oh, I can't believe we're about to make history I can hear my fantasies whispering Feels like I'm dreaming Oh, I can't believe we're about to make history I can hear my fantasies whispering Feels like I'm dreaming